Hello and welcome to Church Meets World, a brand new podcast from America Media about where the Catholic Church meets the most interesting and consequential issues of our time. I'm Sebastian Gomes, an executive editor at America. And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, an audio producer at America. And we're so excited to be hosting this new series and sharing it with you. That's right. Since 1909, America Magazine has been sharing powerful stories and thought-provoking analysis in print. And now we are reimagining some of those same great stories in audio. Yeah, and this isn't merely a retelling of the print version. Maggie and I have carefully selected each piece and considered how things like archival audio, immersive sound design, and the author's own voice can actually change the way we encounter a story. Each episode explores a different topic or story that lands somewhere at the intersection of Catholic thought and contemporary life and culture. This first episode features a story from Abraham Nussbaum. It's a profoundly moving reflection on the killing of George Floyd in May of 2020, and the way it parallels the killing of Emmett Till in the summer of 1955. And after we play the audio rendition of Nussbaum's story, Maggie and I will return to reflect on the meaning we each drew from it. So stick around. But first, here's Abraham Nussbaum and his son, Eamon. One evening in June, I came home from a protest against racism, only to discover that my teenage son, Eamon, had been at the same protest. It was another sign of the times, a pair of pandemics, one of inequality and another of infection, both so prevalent that a father and the son can march together and not know it. Back at home, we talked about the way protesters peacefully and purposefully chanted, Say his name, George Floyd. Say his name, George Floyd. Say his name, George Floyd. To me, as a cradle Catholic, it felt like the litany of the saints. St. Peter, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. As the march continued, others were named. Say her name, Brianna Taylor. Say his name, Ahmad Arbery. The pleasure of the Litany of the Saints is that it unfurls out into eternity. St. Mary Magdalene, pray for us. St. Agatha, pray for us. St. Lucy, pray for us. Saint Dominic, pray for us. Saint Claire of Assisi, pray for us. Saint The horror of the protesters' litany was that a new name could be shouted each minute of the march without exhausting the names of the dead. An infernal unfurling. George Floyd, Brianna, Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, 
Eric Garner, Philando Castile, Justin Howe, Sean Fontarosa, Elijah McLean. Every name of a slain person is the name of someone's child. They were birthed, raised, loved, and then killed. This is no news story, even if it has become the news story. Later that night, while washing dishes and listening to my local NPR station, I heard the host ask an African-American pastor, why now? when racism and injustice have been with us for so long. She believed that it was because George Floyd's murder was filmed and because he called for his mother. Her comment helped me understand why George Floyd's death had pierced me. Mama, 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 he called as the police officer's knee slowly robbed him of his breath. Mama, I'm through called as the police officer killed him. Mama, I love you. George Floyd's mother had died two years earlier, and yet he called for her. I can relate. As a Catholic, I have been trained to call on mothers. Mama, Mother Church, Mary. I call on them daily, but especially in my distress. Who else but a mother can answer her child's call. Thinking about the litany of the saints, the cries of murdered children, and the mothers who answered their calls, I thought of a most remarkable mother, Mamie Till Mobley, and told my own children part of her story. Mamie Till Mobley mothered a son, Emmett Till, whose dead body sparked a national outcry. In August 1955, Emmett Till, a 14-year-old African-American boy from Chicago, was visiting relatives in Mississippi. In a local grocery store, he spoke to one of its proprietors, Carolyn Bryant, a 21-year-old white woman. Her husband, Roy Bryant, and his half-brother, J.W. Malam, shortly thereafter abducted Emmett Till from his great-uncle's home, savagely beat him, shot him, and sank his body in the Tallahatchie River. Three days later, his mutilated body was discovered. When they began to unload the body, I realized that that box had my baby's body in it. And I, I was just overwhelmed with grief. The discovery of his body never led to legal justice. Not in 1955, when an all-white jury found Bryant and Malam innocent. Not in 1956, when Bryant and Malam confessed to the murder in a story for Look magazine. Not in 2004, when the Department of Justice opened an investigation into the case. Not in 2017, when Carolyn Bryant admitted in an interview that she had lied in her testimony against Emmett Till. Each moment is a sour confirmation of the world's order. Each is a reminder that the only justice Emmett Till ever received, 
was from the faithful witness of Mamie Till Mobley, his tireless mother. Less than two weeks after she had bidden him farewell on a Mississippi-bound train, Ms. Mobley retrieved the body of her only child from the train station in Chicago. Her oral account was preserved by Stud Sterkel in Will the Circle Be Unbroken? I asked my son Eamon to read Ms. Mobley's account out loud. I began a real, minute examination. I looked at his teeth, and there were only about four of them left. He had such beautiful teeth. I moved on up to the nose, and it looked like someone had taken a meat cleaver and had just chopped the bridge of his nose. Pieces had fallen out. When I went to look at his eyes, this one was lying on his cheek. But I saw the color of it. I said, that's my son's eye. I looked over at the other, and it was as if someone had taken a nut picker and just picked it out. There was no eye. I went to examine his ears. If you'll notice, my ears are detached from my face, and they kind of curl on the end. And his did, too. There was no ear. It was gone. I was looking up through the side of his face, and I could see daylight on the other side. I said, oh, my God. The tears were falling, and I was brushing tears away because I had to see. Ms. Mobley knew the body, even in its despoiled state, as the body of the son she had birthed, nursed, and bathed. She received his body in the funeral home, examined it, and knew it as only a mother could. Then she prayed. Later, I was reading the scriptures, and it told how Jesus had been led from Judgment Hall to Judgment Hall all night long how he had been beaten, and so much that no man would ever sustain the horror of his beating, that his face was just in ribbons. And I thought about it, and I said, Lord, do you mean to tell me that Emmett's beating did not equal the one that was given to Jesus? And I said, My God, what must Jesus have suffered? As my own son read these words aloud to his sisters, I was dumbfounded again. How could she say her own son suffered less than Jesus? How could a mother be so faithful? Ms. Mobley understood something our sanitized pictures of Jesus hide, that the suffering of Jesus continued in the death of her son and is ongoing in the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and all the brutalized black bodies before and after. It is an infernal litany, but one that through a mother's call becomes a catalyst for justice. After privately viewing her son's body, Miss Mobley exposed his body in an open casket funeral. Mr. Rayner wanted to know, was I going to have the casket opened? I said, oh yes, we're gonna open the casket. He said, well, do you want me to do something for the face? Want me to try to fix it up? I said, no, let the people see what I've seen. I said, I want the world to see this. 
On September 6, 1955, tens of thousands of people viewed the brutalized body and the gathered company of their church. It was almost as if people were looking at their own child there rather than a stranger they didn't know. When it had been so mutilated, it had been so violated. It was him, but it was all of us. I think it really let us see the ugly monster that uh, race hatred is. After viewing his body, the mourners and those around the world who saw the graphic photographs cried out for justice. Within a hundred days of Emmett Till's murder, Rosa Parks began her bus boycott while thinking of Emmett Till. His body became a call to action because Rosa Parks, John Lewis, and Ms. Mobley transformed his suffering from a private wound into a public sin. In the days after her son's death, Ms. Mobley cried out to a gathering. Lord, you gave your only son to remedy a condition but who knows but what the death of my only son might bring an end to lynching. Lord, take my soul, show me what you want me to do, and make me able to do it. I count Mamie Till Mobley in the litany of the saints whose company I hope to keep. Learning from Ms. Mobley, I pray to be shown and to be made able. I pray for Emmett Till for George Floyd, for the mothers they called upon, and I pray for the justice they sought. That was Abraham Nussbaum and his son Eamon recording from their home in Colorado. So Sebastian, I was immediately struck in this piece by some of the parallels that Abraham establishes between the litany of the saints in the Catholic tradition and the litany of those who have been victims. Uh, and in this case in particular, victims of racial injustice and inequality. Yeah, that was very powerful. And we know that God has a soft spot for victims, right? I mean, I think the entire tradition, the entire Christian religion is built on the violence that was done to the Son of God. And mm -hmm. so like the crucifixion is at the heart of our interpretation, our interpretive lens to everything that happens in our society. So that when we see people who are victims of violence in one way, shape, or form, we immediately know that God is not only present there, but we have a responsibility to look at that violence and grapple with it and try to uh, change the world so that it no longer happens because we have at the source of our belief system the unjust violence done to the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be careful here not to say that violence in itself makes someone holy, right? That we don't want to romanticize right. violence. But we do want to say that God always takes the side of the victim, that God is most present in the suffering of Jesus and that Jesus participates in the suffering of all humanity. And, and so that's where we recognize the presence of God. For sure. And I think, you know, even in the, the, the story of the death of Jesus, we see him hanging on a cross next to two other criminals who were justly condemned to death. I mean, justly, according to the systems of that time that found these two people 
guilty of a crime that warranted their execution. And in that moment, we, we even have the account of Jesus actually essentially forgiving one of them, the one who repents, and saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. So there's this interesting takeaway from that account for us, which is that even when we apply our, our worldly um, you know, justice onto other people and, and, and use that to enact violence on someone else, even then we're in the wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of anti-violent, non-violent core to the whole reconciliatory act of Jesus's death. Yeah. And I think this is an especially important point to draw out because uh, when I've read about similar comparisons between George Floyd and Jesus or the crucifixion of Jesus and the murder of George Floyd, there has been some pushback or resistance to that. Some have called that blasphemous. You know, how dare we liken George Floyd to Jesus as though one needs to be perfect in order to participate in the same kind of suffering or for, for Jesus to be present in that suffering. But as you've pointed out, none of this depends on the quality or history or character of the individual. Especially when it's violence being done to somebody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the other things that really struck me about this piece was the image of Miss Mobley cradling her son Emmett Hill's mutilated body and reviewing every last detail of it. And immediately the image of the Pieta came to mind, which is uh, the statue that Michelangelo carved where Mary, the mother of Jesus, is cradling Jesus after he's been taken down from the cross. And this is an image that we see throughout so much Catholic art, um, not just Michelangelo's statue. And, And just thinking about Miss Mobley's description of her son's body as a kind of pieta reminded me of the importance of bearing witness to this kind of violence and suffering. I I think it's absolutely essential that we are seen and that we see each other. And by recognizing her son, she is, of course, declaring that his life matters, that this life matters. And that is the anthem of Black Lives Matter. And so I think there's just something so critical to bearing witness to injustice, um, both just for the, the recognition of, of the holiness of that life, but also because it serves as a catalyst for us pursuing justice, that you can't see these sorts right. of things and look away. Right. And, and racial violence in this country is not new. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, if we are going to invoke the life and death of Jesus, like in the images that you describe, like Michael Michelangelo's statue and the witnesses of the saints, you know, the martyrs throughout history, there's also this recognition that this moment today is actually an iteration of that same violence. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can hold up the victims of, of racism and inequality in our society today and allow their suffering. In fact, we have to allow their suffering to actually challenge us personally. Right. To think about um, not only, you know, overt kind of explicit violence that's done out there, but how we are actually participating in some of those systems of violence, mm-hmm. you know, as if we were standing at the foot of the cross and we would be forced to look at ourselves and say, what did we do or not do? that allowed us to get to this point. 
Well, I'm so glad, Sebastian, that we got to select this piece. It felt so timely and important and and just beautifully crafted. So we really hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. We're looking forward to sharing more stories with you. So please subscribe to the Church Meets World podcast and leave us a review. And let your friends and family know about the podcast too. We'll be back with all new episodes in the weeks ahead. Church Meets World is a production of America Media. This episode was written and produced by Maggie Van Dorn and me, Sebastian Gomes. Sound designed by Ashley Spillane. It was based on the article by Abraham Nussbaum for America Magazine, which you can find at americamagazine.org, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.